to the GBC Sermon Podcast from Gaimia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. This message from our Sunday church service is part of the resources we provide as we seek to see lives changed by Jesus. You could also listen to our Big Three podcast, a conversation that unpacks three big questions raised from sermons like this one. You can find more information about Gaimia Baptist Church as well as discipleship resources and an opportunity to join us in person or online on our website, gaimiabaptist.org.au. Good morning. Okay, our reading is from Luke 2, verses 25, oh, sorry, 22 to 35. It's titled, Jesus Presented in the Temple. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Thanks, Sonia, for leading us and good morning. Welcome. It's good to have you here this morning. Trust your preparations for Christmas aren't too overwhelming. (laughs) I know how to pray for you all. Uh, We uh, have chosen as our theme for this year this metaphor of of Christmas Unboxed, which refers to the YouTube phenomenon of the same name. I'm not sure if you've ever watched uh, YouTubers unboxing something. The idea is kind of a cross between voyeurism of just enjoying watching people do things and kind of pre-shopping research. So the idea is you can actually watch someone unbox an item or an object or a toy that you were thinking of buying for your son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter or for yourself. And they kind of, in an unbiased way, because they're not actually the producers of said object, kind of pull everything out and they show you what's in the box or they might build the toy or turn it on and let you see what it's like. And we thought this is an interesting metaphor for us to consider when it comes to Christmas. What's in the box of Christmas? What's in the story of Christmas? And and what should we be paying attention to as we go through the Christmas story again? And so last week we looked at the uh, Song of Mary on Christmas. You're going to be stunned by this. We're going to look at the Christmas story. Uh, And today we have kind of jumped ahead to look at this encounter between Mary and Joseph and Simeon. 
Because Simeon gives us some insight into what's in the box. He gives us some insight into what we ought to expect from this child and the story that we are engaged in 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 Luke's gospel. And so it's worth paying attention to what Simeon has to say to us through this story. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to keep it open to Luke chapter 2, or if you've got it on your phone, to keep it open there as well. I want to draw your attention to a, a couple of additional passages as well over the course of this morning. Uh, the story itself is about five weeks after the story of, uh, of, of, of Bethlehem and the shepherds and the angels. Uh, and the scene shifts quite considerably from Bethlehem and the stable behind the inn to the temple courtyards in Jerusalem. And, and we learn something really important here that's kind of conti- a continuation of the previous section. And that is that Mary and Joseph, whatever else they might be, are, first of all, not particularly well off. And secondly, they are law-abiding. So we're told that they, on the eighth day, in accordance with the law of Moses, had Jesus circumcised and named him at that point in time, giving him the name that Gabriel had said to Mary they should give him, the name of Jesus. Then the next thing that we find is that five weeks later, they have gone to Jerusalem to fulfill the purification rites after childbirth, but also to present their son to the Lord as their firstborn son. References back to Exodus chapter 13 uh, and other sections within the law, both of the presentation and of purification. The indication, though, that they're not particularly well off is found in the detail that they brought a pair of doves. There were provisions in the law for those who did not have a great deal of wealth. Uh, So ideally, you were to bring a lamb uh, for purification, but if you couldn't afford that, then a dove was sufficient. And so here we have two indicators. Jesus will be raised within a law-abiding family, a righteous and devout family. If we're to understand the story of Jesus, we're going to have to have some understanding of the wider Jewish context of the law and of the prophecies about this child. But it's while they're in the temple that they meet Simeon. And Simeon is given for us, in terms of Luke's account, a a kind of a really powerful, compact character reference. And we learn a lot from the very few things that Luke tells us about him. So we're told he lived in Jerusalem. He was righteous and devout. So what we have here is a man who is concerned to live the right way. And not just the right way according to himself, but according to the law of God. And his devotion is seen in his activity. He actually acts out all that he believes is right as revealed by God. This is the first thing we're told about him. This is a a good thing in a character, wouldn't you reckon? And we probably suspect that there's something about this Simeon character that we should pay attention to, which is made all the clearer for us when we're told that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And this waiting for the consolation of Israel, this waiting for the comfort of God, is not a passive... um, waiting as some sort of, you know, random hope for the future. It's kind of like the waiting for Christmas. We're sort of waiting for Christmas, aren't we? Or waiting for Christmas to be over. We're waiting for Christmas, right? But it's coming. Jesus uses the same verb a little bit later on in chapter 12 when he urges his followers to be prepared, to be prepared like servants who are waiting for their master to come to the wedding banquet. 
I mean, they are waiting, but they are waiting with expectation, aren't they? There's a certainty. The wedding banquet's been prepared. Our master is getting married. It's only a matter of time before he arrives. So we're not waiting for something in the far distant future. We're waiting for something that is imminent. Joseph of Arimathea, uh, the man who took the body of Jesus from the cross and buried it in his own tomb, is said likewise to have been waiting for the kingdom. Anna, in the next story in chapter 2, speaks about Jesus to all who were waiting for the kingdom. So Simeon is someone who is righteous. He lives the way that God would want him to live. He seeks to do that in all aspects of his life, and he is actively anticipating and expecting that God is going to do something, and we're told that the Holy Spirit rests upon him. And if you've read through sections of the Old Testament, you might be familiar with the fact that the Holy Spirit, up until we get to Luke's account, kind of descends on very important people who are given a very important and specific job, normally to rescue the people of Israel. So the Holy Spirit falls on people like David and like Saul and like Samson who are called to rescue God's people. And it seems that the Spirit is given for a specific task and then removed. But so far in Luke's account, the Holy Spirit plays a much more significant role. It's the Holy Spirit, we are told, that will infuse John the Baptist's life. It is the Holy Spirit who will rest on Mary, overshadow her, enabling her to become pregnant with Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit who fills Elizabeth when Mary comes to see her. It is the same Holy Spirit who fills Zechariah at the naming of John, and he speaks of Jesus. There's something new happening here. Because the Spirit is not being poured out on mighty warriors or kings, but on elderly priests and their wives and peasant girls and young children of whom we don't really know what they're going to become. So Simeon, this righteous man, expectantly waiting for God's comfort to come to his people, filled with the Holy Spirit, meets this couple. He's also been told, of course, that he is not going to die until he sees the Lord's Messiah. Have you, ever, um, have you ever wondered if there's a director's cut of the Bible? Or a, you know, the making of documentary series? Because I'd love to sit down with Simeon to one side and say, so, tell us. You go into the temple because you really felt God called you to be there. You're looking at all these people. The place is filled with people from all over the place. What was it that drew your attention to a peasant couple and their child. And what was it that convinced you that this child, is this what you were waiting for? If I'd been waiting to see the Lord's Messiah, I think I would have been waiting for a grown man on a horse leading an army. I would have expected something to have come to fruition, not a child. But whatever it was that happened, Simeon realizes who this child is. And in something that you should never do, unless you're a biblical character, took the child from his mother. (laughs) Not safe church at all. (laughs) He takes the child, and Luke does this in an interesting way. 
Simeon's next words are not actually directed to Mary and Joseph, or even therefore, shall we say, to us, but they are directed to God. And so we get to kind of stand to one side and hear what Simeon has to say about this child. We're not being addressed, but we are to the side of it, kind of watching, listening, observing what Simeon has to say. And what he has to say is quite remarkable. Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Seemingly saying, I have now seen what you promised I would see before I died, and now I am ready to die. Why? Well, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And these words are Simeon's, but they are words that have been steeped in Scripture and then inspired by the Holy Spirit together. Scripture and Spirit, reflection on the one, obedience to the other. If you have your Bibles with you, turn back to Isaiah chapter 42, because Simeon's words take a whole bunch of phrases from some really profound passages known as the servant passages, the servant songs. They are oracles, prophetic oracles that speak of one who is to come, one who is the servant of the Lord. And Isaiah 42 is the first of them. It opens with these words, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets of bruised reed. He will not break a smoldering wick. He will not snuff out. Words that Matthew uses to describe the ministry of Jesus. But if you just jump down to verse 6, this is the Lord's description of him. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. If you flip ahead to Isaiah 49, another of the servant songs where we have another description of the servant of the Lord. If you have a look in chapter 49, verse uh, 5, it says, And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. The Lord says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles." that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Simeon has spent a lifetime reflecting on Scripture because he is waiting for the consolation of Israel. And when he sees the child through the presence of the Holy Spirit and deep reflection, what does he say of this child? Mine eyes have seen your salvation. In this child, whom you've prepared before all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, the glory of your people. And he's saying this in the temple courtyards. And the temple, of course, was not just a really fancy building where people gathered. It wasn't just the religious center of Israel. It was deemed by them to be the very center of God's kingdom. 
For it was from the temple that the word of the Lord, the blessing of the Lord would flow into the rest of the world. This child, Simeon says, this child, I've seen him. Now dismiss your servant in peace. We're told that the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And to some degree, we have the place of the mother and the father here. We are kind of adjacent to what Simeon has to say. As Simeon praises the Lord, Mary and Joseph too stand where we stand, listening to this indirect speech, marveling at who this child might be. And then Simeon blesses them and turns to Mary and speaks directly to her. And here we have a very, very different picture of this child. This child, he says, is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. If there is salvation, then that implies that there is need for rescue. If there is light, light implies that there is a need for light because there is darkness. Here we find that is, there is more going on. It's the image that Mary herself sings about in her Magnificat, right? her song. That the, the, the proud are brought down, the humble are lifted up, the hungry are filled with good things, and those who are rich are sent away empty. There is a reversal that takes place with Jesus. And I think it's important that we notice this because we're so often, well, we are attracted like moths to the light, aren't we? <laughs> we're attracted to the idea of salvation for all. But here we find that while this salvation is for all, it will not be accepted by all. There is a rising and a falling. He goes on. He says that he will be a sign that will be spoken against. In other words, he will become a divisive person. We all know divisive characters, don't we? For some, they love him. And others, hate him. Not a lot of middle ground in those sorts of personalities, are there? What do you think of Elon Musk right now? Glorified genius, champion of free speech, or a pretentious tosser? Doesn't seem to be much space between. Very few people say, oh, he's probably okay. He's a divisive character, isn't he? And there are others. You love them or they hate them. Jesus... This child is going to cause the rising and the falling of many. Those who believe that they are on top may fall. Those who are left on the outside will be brought in. And he will divide. He will not be all about unifying. He will be about division. There will be those who will speak against him with vehemence. And those who will speak for him with love. And the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. That which is hidden will be brought out. When Jesus, uh, later on in his ministry, begins speaking in parables and teaching the crowds in parables, his disciples come and ask him why he uses indirect speech all the time. Like, why don't you just give us some bullet points, some propositions? Why do you have to tell us stories? And Jesus' answer is, essentially, if I can paraphrase, that it reveals something of the person's heart when they hear the parable. If they hear the story, if they hear the indirect teaching and think to themselves, oh, whatever, 
their heart has been revealed as being hardened, infertile. But for those who listen to the stories and think deeply about them and reflect upon them and maybe even ask questions of them, their hearts are fertile. Jesus will divide. He will separate. He will define and refine. This is part of what takes place next, which should be fairly intriguing to all of us, don't you think? And then he speaks a word to Mary. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is often taken as reference to the heartache that a mother will feel for the suffering of her own son. And and that may very well be part of what Simeon is talking about. But given the context, I actually think there's something else possibly also going on. Because what he has just said about Jesus is that this child will cause the rising and falling of many. That this child will divide people. That this child will reveal hearts And then almost in the same breath says to Mary, a sword will pierce your soul too. And I wonder if alongside, I suppose, the the idea that she will internally have to grapple with what it means to be the mother of someone like that, whether it also has a challenge to Mary and to us about our ongoing journey of faith. The child's father and mother, verse 33, marveled at what was said about him. There's been a fair amount of marveling going on, actually. When Gabriel arrives in uh, Mary's home and says to her, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled and wondered what kind of greeting this was. And although she was willing to be the Lord's servant and to allow whatever was going to be to be, she wonders. When the shepherds arrive, we'll look at this next week, spoiler alert, the shepherds arrive and tell the wonderful story of what they've encountered, babbling about angelic choirs and good news and signs and swaddling claws, and here we are, I can't believe it. We're told that Mary treasured these things in her heart and pondered upon them. These are all worthwhile things to do. But in Scripture, and in the Gospels in particular, amazement at Jesus is not faith. The crowds are amazed at what Jesus does. They're amazed at his teaching, They're amazed at his miracles. They marvel and wonder at what this might possibly mean. And then they scream for his death. Here's Mary. She's had quite a year. Right? She's had quite a year. And while she is herself righteous... And while she and Joseph are indeed law-abiding, there is a lot to process here. And all they have to show for it is a baby. 
full of potential, full of opportunity, but a baby. No real proof that this is indeed the one. No real indicator in that moment that this is actually all going to happen. And so there's a really interesting challenge to faith here. The very next section, when they present Jesus at the temple, remember that story? Jesus is, I don't know, 11 or whatever it is, 12 years old, and he stays in the temple and just kind of is engaging with all the teachers of the law, and they can't find him. They finally track him down. Remember that whole bit where the parents of the Lord lose him, right? Talk about pressure, right? And when they find him, he asks them, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Verse 50, they did not understand what he was saying. Mary and Joseph had to engage on a journey of faith. For all that they experienced, for all that they encountered, they were engaging in a journey of faith. And I think that is the invitation for each one of us with the story of Christmas. For many of us, the story is so familiar that we go, I know what's in the box. Mary and Joseph, there's an angel, there's a shepherd, there's a few wise men, some gifts. It's all there. I got it all. Tick. Done. New Year's. Right. This story encourages us to two things. One, to marvel at what we are told. To marvel at what we are told. To listen, really listen to the songs. You know what they say? Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. O little town of Bethlehem, all the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. We are invited to marvel at what we hear at Christmas. And we are invited to ponder that amazing story in order that it might become faith. Mary and Joseph had to go on that journey. The book of Acts opens with Mary among the believers. Where will we be? To allow this to strengthen and deepen our faith. This is the invitation of Christmas. So I would encourage you to take it. Marvel at what you hear. Don't sing the songs by rote. Really listen to them. Reflect on this story again. And then grapple with what we hear. Jesus is the light of the world, salvation for all, and yet he is a divisive character. Someone destined to cause the rising and the falling of many, maybe us. And perhaps a sword will pierce our own hearts too as we grapple with who he is and what it means for us to follow him.
So Merry Christmas. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the team to come and lead us in joy to the world. Feel free to sing along, but pay attention. Marvel at what we hear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the promises that you have made to us and that you have fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And I pray that for each of us, we might marvel at what you have done and that we might not be content simply to be amazed, but that you might continue to grow and deepen faith in each one of us. A faith that gets lived out in every aspect of our lives. We thank you for the example of Simeon, someone who was waiting with anticipation for the consolation of Israel, who was sensitive to your spirit, deeply steeped in Scripture, able to recognize what you are doing and to be part of it. We thank you for the example of Mary and Joseph, those who were swept up in your plans, who saw some remarkable and amazing things and continued to allow those to turn to faith. We pray that for each one of us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message has challenged and strengthened you, encouraged you to pray and rely on God and blessed you today. If you'd like to get to know some of our church community, you can listen to the We Are The Church podcast, an open conversation with real people who call GBC home as they share stories of God at work in their lives and how their lives are being changed by Jesus.